Hey, what's up? This is Sarah Bueno. I'm your host for Conversations with the Wounded Healer, and I feel a little wacky today. I think at this point in the pandemic, I've just lost my mind, and this is just how we're going to roll. So (laughs) thank you for joining me today. Before I introduce our wonderful guest today, if you are listening to this when it comes out on March 3rd, in just two days, we are going to be launching our webinar series called Head Heart Conversations. And that first webinar is called OMG. It's called Conversations with the Wounded Healer. And I really think of it as a call to action to support therapists to really step into their own healing with courage. So if you're listening to this right before That is on March 5th, and as a special, special to you podcast listeners, I'm offering you $20 off your order. So when you go to buy your tickets, and it's all virtual, of course, right? When you go to buy your tickets, use the code PODCAST when you register, and you will get $20 off, and that is at www.tinyurl.com slash hhconvos. I hope to see you there. All right, now on to today's guest. So today's guest is Jim Martin. And I found Jim, I think it was Scott Tusa. Yes, it was. So Scott Tusa was on the podcast way long ago. I can't even remember what episode it was. And I think he had posted a meme from The Unusual Buddha. And then I started following them. And it's really, really funny. It's cute and kitschy. And I just love it. And so I reached out to Jim and wanted to have him on the show. So he says, I'm Jim Martin, founder of TheUnusualBuddha.com. In our community, we cover meditation, spirituality, and metaphysics in a fun and contemporary way. Meditation resources that are practical and in plain language are our goal. So I hope you enjoy the fun I had. This is a this is if you like my laugh, which I get that a lot. People say they like my laugh. You're going to love this episode because Jim and I pretty much laugh the entire time. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Hello, Jim. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm disappointed that you're not looking like Meditato right now. Oh, that's what well, you see because Meditato <laughs> and I are not the same. We're we're different, in fact, what? different people. Yes, it's uh, that's so yeah, unfortunate. It's very rare find. Uh, <laughs> that is just an excuse to have so much fun with something. You know, to me, this whole thing is taking meditation and, and sitting and breathing, taking it so seriously. It's just maddening. It's just like, dude, you're just sitting on a fancy chair talking to somebody telling them how to breathe. Sometimes you throw in the artistic, you know, voice, you know, now I'm going to count to three and we're going to begin meditate. You know what I mean? That, that, that right. real soft voice that's, that, yes. uh, yeah, exactly. You know it. Yeah, I've never, I've, I do. Yes, Very much so. <laughs> listen, let's back so, up. Let's back yeah. up. Tell people who you are, what you do, and then we'll tell them who Meditato is because okay. that is brilliant. <laughs> I'm Jim Martin of theunusualbuddha.com. I throw in like founder in there, but uh, all that means is that I've pushed a couple more buttons than the average person that sees it. We started with Facebook up to, I think, 125,000 followers or something like that now. Moved to Instagram. Basically tried to get the message everywhere. I got very into meditation. I learn better through communication with people, even if it is written. If I ask you a question, I'll learn more than if I were to read that same information written down. So I started asking questions and talking to people and trying to interact to get into you know, further into Buddhism and meditation. And uh, I found a lot of people that were quite frankly assholes. And and it was... <laughs> <laughs> they, 
Yeah. 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 I hate to say it, but like, and, right? and not that I'm not like, don't get me wrong. Like I have my own, right. I think we all have an asshole streak of some, at some point. Of course but, we um, do. As a newbie, you know, beginner or whatever, weeb, if you want to get into some of the terminology that's out there, uh, a lot of people were very dismissive, very rude, very, mm. because I didn't know where on my keyboard the, you know, correct pronunciation, accent marks and stuff were to, oh, to do yeah, Sanskrit yeah. and stuff. And like, how dare you? Yeah. Rather than talk to me about this concept, <laughs> you would rather diss me for not having the correct punctuation mark over the letter N, the third letter N in the word, or you know, like, come on, man, like, why are we talking like this? So it started, actually started with a page called, can't believe it's not Buddha. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was... This is why I wanted you on the show. I just like, yeah. love your humor. Yeah, it's just, it's it's punny. It's, you know, because some of it, uh, yeah. as I get older, it's, I think I've always been kind of into dad jokes, but it's always punny. It's always that kind of stuff. But I was just ha into having fun with the concept because to me, for various reasons, I think humor is how I handle the world, whether it's a defense mechanism, whether, you know, and sometimes it is that, whether it's a shield, whether it's to get information out of people, whether it's to get something off my chest that you couldn't get with any other kind of delivery. Mm -hmm. Humor is how I live and humor is how I process things. It's another one of those things like it has to be a game for me to learn. That's another thing that's one of my weird learning styles. I got to gamify it a little bit for it to stick. So like the Jeopardy kind of thing will, will yeah. help me some. Yeah, that's where it started. And, and I just started making memes. And honestly, it came down to what I really wanted to do and, and what kind of the goal is now with a lot of the memes and stuff is I'm probably never going to create a great masterpiece of philosophical treatises or whatever. Um, but it doesn't mean I couldn't get somebody interested in it. And I couldn't get somebody right. interested in it through humor. So if I make a joke about meditation or samadhi, well, then, you know, OK, well, most people are going to go, hey, I want to get the joke, too. So they'll go look it up and like, oh, Samadhi, that means basically wisdom. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's yeah. to me, I think planting that seed to me is more valuable than, I guess, spoon feeding it to people or packaging it the way it usually is packaged, if that makes sense. It's a very long, mm -hmm. convoluted description of what I do. But uh, but basically, <laughs> I make the memes that are funnies or I try to make them funny <laughs> and try to introduce concepts to people that um, most people would not play with, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, enter Meditato. Yes, meditato. So meditato is actually, <laughs> you get the inside scoop here because nobody knows this. Yeah. Meditato and I are the same person. I know. I know. <gasps> it's, yeah. So I had to tell your listeners, I'm pretty sure everyone knows by now anyway, due to the unique mustache that meditato seems to have, but uh, it's a... <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a filter. It's actually through Instagram itself. And it's, oh, it's something it? that, yeah, okay. it's actually, I, I had to search it, you know, because I wanted a potato. So yes. <laughs> you have to have a potato filter. Why would you, people are out here getting beautified. I'm trying to be a fucking potato. So right. yeah, mainly it was, the idea was to, again, further play with the concept. I mean, I just, I feel like we've been beating this dead horse. I mean, I guess if you want to get technical Buddhism and, and Eastern philosophies are, are, you know, been around forever. They really only came to America in the 50s or 60s, and we've kind of continued to carry out these concepts in the same way, with a very like sing-songy voice and a very, I don't know, just the deliveries like, I'm sure they're great people. I don't necessarily agree with how they pitch it the same all the time, but like, you know, Jack Cornfields and your Deepak Chopra's, those kind of guys, don't get me wrong, they are huge, they have big followings, a lot of people love them, but I don't like that sing-songy voice. I don't like that delivery. It doesn't sit What's well with real? me. Exactly. And, and I want to have fun yeah. with it. And a lot of times I have it's like weird thing, like I'll pick up sayings and stuff. And that's what I wanted to do with Meditato was kind of play with the sayings and play with the yeah. with the soft voice and those kind of things to kind of, again, make light of it because I don't feel like it should be so serious all the time. And that's I feel like you could reach more people if it weren't always pitched the same way. I have a lot of mm -hmm. friends that are into philosophy and meditation, those kind of concepts, but they're 
very turned off because it doesn't jive with their corn record from the 90s if you want to go that far back yeah, or, yeah. Uh-huh. Or, or or disturbed or you know what i mean so like not to say all my friends are so hard because i have friends that are into rap and hip-hop and all that stuff too but again mm-hmm. you're not gonna reach everybody the same way i'm sorry you can't talk like simon and garfunkel and expect everybody to be into that you know what i mean it's just not how the world works sometimes a lot of my mm-hmm. intros and stuff are all hip hop because that's what I like. So that's what I put out there. But it's, I just feel like it's a different spin. And that's mainly the idea with Meditato was to get people to have fun with some of these concepts. Honestly, I record more times as Meditato and end up not using it <laughs> because I can't keep a straight face because it's a potato the whole time. So I'm trying to. Well, stop hello. looking at yourself. Yeah, do more. Cl- They're so yeah, funny. Oh. <laughs> And I've been sitting down, I'm like, man, I I have so many I could just sit there and just do. And then a lot of times I've been, it's also been an excuse to play with some features on some platforms that I wouldn't usually Mm because I guess I don't want to limit myself. But like memes are, to me, you know, setup, delivery, joke, visual Mm -hmm. all at once. And I really like them for that reason. But I feel like I've like pigeonholed myself a lot because Facebook, I mean, I posted three a day on the Unusual Buddha for probably, God, like five or six years now so Mm. some of them i find but a lot of them if they have the website on them i made that so Mm -hmm. obviously you know one of the rules if you're making stuff on social media is don't put your uh watermark Mm -hmm. over someone else's watermark that's That's right don't do that (laughs) don't do it don't do it anyway let's dig into more about who you are so what initially drew you to meditation like what was going on in your life that you were like i need to sit and be quiet (laughs) (laughs) Because not a lot of people make that choice in this busy world, yeah. right? To be honest, I was always interested in philosophy and, and meditation and things like that. I have books on Norse mythology and Greek mythology and things like mm. that. As a kid, I was always really interested. But when I found Buddhism, that's the one that stuck with me as far as the questions and answers and, and mm-hmm. self-investigation and those kind of things. It kind of stuck with me. So as a teenager, actually 17 years old, I picked up a book edited by Dwight Goddard called The Buddhist Bible. It's uh, I can send you a mm. link if you like, but obviously there is no per se Buddhist Bible. It's the Tripitaka. It was mainly just a collection of sutras that he found important or he found that were foundational. And I read it. And of course, like a 17 year old, I do everything with and probably really still now, but studied with a very great lack of discipline. And I just kind of read through it when I wanted. (laughs) And uh, I, through various moves with parents and and graduating high school and going to tech school and all those kind of things, it got put away. And I actually found it not long after I found out my wife was pregnant with our first daughter. It was probably like seven years later. I was 24. I feel like it was one of those big moments where I was trying to find meaning, trying mm-hmm. to find purpose, trying to find something of value to give a new little person. You know what I mean? And not to say like, I, you know, I've, I used to read the Bible cover to cover. I've, really? Yeah. I've, I've been told wow. that. That's quite ambitious. <laughs> um, I, I, well, so not all at once. I, I have read it cover to cover, but usually it was it was piecemealed. And then a couple of times I would just like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm foul to read it cover to cover. I've been told that I have a surprising amount of knowledge of the Bible for somebody who is not Who's Christian. not Christian, right, yeah. A lot of people like to talk about that kind of stuff with me, but, you know, and it's not to say there's no value in Christianity, I guess what I'm getting at is, yeah. it's just that this one spoke to me, it resonated with me harder than the Bible did. And, you know, I think we've all, in the Western world, America specifically, I think we've all had our fair share of awful experiences with Bible thumpers, mm-hmm. or I live yeah. in Virginia, so it's kind of like the Bible belt here, and you get the the old lady that's got the fan, like, you know, I declare you... Uh, you're a Buddhist. You know what I mean? Like you get the, the <laughs> Right. Like yeah. it's like you practice witchcraft and also witches are awesome. That's a whole other topic. But like, come on. Believe it or not, that's actually Nellie. Nellie's a, a hedge witch. She's actually uh my partner in crime. She lives in Canada. She actually was somebody I met through a Dudist Facebook group. So I don't know if you're familiar with Dudism. No, what's that? Do you remember the Big Lebowski? Yeah. Oh, no way. Yes, it is a religion based around no, it's like a new it- 
is not. Swear to you. Swear to you. So it's uh, it's a new world interpretation of the Tao Te Ching, of Taoism. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. And that's actually where I met her. So one of the things I did to try and grow the Unusual Buddha is I sent memes that I thought were funny to different groups that mm-hmm. I thought it would roughly apply because it was, right. I don't want to be in there just like, look at my stuff. You know, like I would just show you like, I think this is funny. So again, that's another valuable point of humor. She joined the group and joined the page and, and was commenting all the time. And then finally, I was like, hey, do you have any interest in like being a part of this? And and this was uh, almost six years ago now. And she said, absolutely. And and so we've, we've kind so of evolved cool. it to involve more spirituality because to me, Buddhism doesn't have to be your answer. I just like that you have mm-hmm. answers to these questions. Personally, it's an interest of mine that you've sat down and thought about the world enough, the universe or existence enough that you have an answer for it, or at least a path towards an answer mm-hmm. that is much bigger than just what you can see and what you can touch. And you know what I mean? Like, I like that about people. So, well, and paganism or Wiccanism, is it Wiccanism? So, so. so I'm not yeah. sure how she would define herself, but Wiccan or pagan, like those really intersect very well with Buddhism. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think so too. And like I said, my wife is also a uh, I don't know if she would call herself a hedge witch, but she does do candle magic and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also grew up super Christian and her mother was Catholic and those kind of things. So I think we're getting to the point now in our lives where we're just, I think I started a little earlier, but we're just ready to get weird with it. You know what I mean? Ready to get weird with your life. This is my life. I'm gonna ride this bitch till the wheels fall off and, and I'm gonna have fun with it. So yeah, as he wears a Spider-Man and unicorn uh, rainbow this is, shirt. This is actually uh, Deadpool with it. a unicorn. Kitty, oh, unicated. okay. So okay. He's, he's shooting uh, uh, the Cupid-like I arrows see off now. the bat. Yeah, this is, again, I don't take a lot of this seriously because I don't take myself seriously very often. Right. So yeah, just I think that's a, a huge part of life is spirituality. I think that it's amazing that even though your answers may not be mine, the fact that you're even thinking on on a grander level than just like a hand-to-mouth mentality of, you know, I wake up in the morning, I go to work, and that is my purpose. I think it's great that people have a whatever their definition of what the meaning of life is or or some kind of quest for meaning. Well, when you like break it down to the core fundamentals of every religion, it's literally just the golden rule. Don't yeah. be a dick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. And that's what I try to tell people is people try to gas things up sometimes like, oh, mm-hmm. you're Buddhist and he's not. And you guys are going to fight. And, you know, like the. Right. Right. He's a different school. Some people get into that whole thing of like, like Buddhism has kind of its own infighting largely <laughs> exists only in the West. So, you know, of oh, you're so Kai used to break down Zen monasteries and stuff like, OK, like this affects me to the zero degree. Like it doesn't matter. I don't understand why we're talking about this, but I always tell people like, if that's what's got you good and that's what's got you doing good in the world, who am I to tell you you can't have that or to tell you that's another reason I approach things the way I do is, is a lot of people try to codify and classify your meditation techniques and your types and your, well, you're not doing it right because that's not anapanyasati. That is whatever other Sanskrit word. And that's the word I know because that's the word I've been using for my meditation class. Uh, I actually looked it up so that people could have like a fancier experience uh, if they wanted to throw the word out. So (laughs) well done. Right, right. And I even like had yeah. to listen to Google Translate, like say it a couple of times. So 100%. Yes. I'm not upon yourself. You know what I mean? You got you to gotta get it right. Yeah, yeah. But I don't appreciate that people try to, it's like gatekeeping. You know what I mean? Just like mm-hmm. if I were to be getting into, when I was younger, I was into like, you know, Magic the Gathering cards or something like that. And they're like, oh, you don't know how to do Swamp Mana or whatever. And it's like, teach them. Like, you know, it doesn't know how to meditate. Teach right. them. By what right are you standing at the gate guarding it? You know what I mean? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset, right? And if you're truly walking a spiritual path, you want 
everyone to walk a spiritual path, period, because you want everybody to be putting good into the world instead of trying to take shit from other people. Yeah. And I totally agree. And that's the thing is, is it is a giving back. What's a better gift to give somebody than, than sort of putting a purpose to their day, you know what I mean? To their existence. I think what better thing could you do? Like with meditation, what better thing could you do than to give somebody the gift of slowing down their own thinking to kind of get a handle on their own mental space? I mean, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I guess I want to give like maybe kind of a little tutorial. I'm I'm guessing a lot of folks who listen to the podcast are on some sort of spiritual path because we talk about that shit all the time. I hear a fair number of people like clients that I work with or just friends or whatever say, well, I can't meditate. So what do you say to those people? That's bullshit and you're lying. You can, right? you can absolutely meditate. Right. I rolled into my class because I hear that same thing all the time. I have a lot of friends as my day job. I'm a, I'm a firefighter and there's a lot of type A personalities. And if you're not a type A personality, you have type A personality traits. So kind of aggressive, goal-oriented. Tough guy. Yeah. Depending on, <laughs> you'd be surprised. It depends mostly on what type of apparatus you're in. Oh, ladder or? For uh, my county, we have rescues, which are the big toolboxes that, you know, if you're stuck in a car, they get you out. Trucks that have the ladder on top and they have, they don't bring any water to the fire. They just bring ladders. And then I'm on an engine. So we bring water and a pump. We're the smart ones. We put the water on the fire and the fire goes away. Uh, They're bringing ladders to a fire. I I guess they want to. Climb up to the top and look down like, and go, yep. Beat that is it to a, death. Yeah, that is a fire. I'm looking down on a fire here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's honestly like everyone has a role and they all oh, have man. like very important parts. Right. What one does wouldn't work very well without the other. And it's very coordinated mm-hmm. and there's a lot of work that goes into it. But uh, it, it is it is pretty funny to watch. Uh, some of them are like the varsity football team from high school got something to work on together. Like they got a project together. So they all, hey, bro, let's look at this, bro. Yeah, bro, knuckle bump. Like, you know what I mean? They're all so... <laughs> Anyway, I say all that to say that a lot of people are into meditation and claim they can't because of some kind of personality trait or defect or characteristic, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Being the quasi nerd that I am about this stuff, I sat down and I run a timer. I ran it 12 times and I averaged it. It takes about roughly eight seconds for me to do one in and out breath. If you have eight seconds, you have time to meditate. I mean, something as simple as one in breath, out breath, you can absolutely do it. There's no reason you should not be able to. I did recently do a, a group class on Facebook and I put it out on YouTube as well. So that if people want to watch that, it's mainly like a little script that I put together so that people who are starting can have like a base. And again, this is not like a compendium of Buddhist meditation because there's, I mean, just within mindfulness alone, there's over 40 different objects of meditation you can use. This is just a very simple serenity meditation focusing on the breath because it usually fits the temperament of most people. A lot of times mindfulness practice, sometimes called dry insight method because it is for a different kind of person. And it's usually pointed to a different sort of goal. The tradition that I learned or practiced my meditation in was Theravada. So they're kind of like the Orthodox Buddhists, I guess. They're like the oldest school that supposedly traces its lineage directly back to the Buddha. And they most revere his teachings. But they say that serenity practice is to get better at insight. Insight is to reach enlightenment. So whatever. It is what it is. You know, they say what they say, but I just find that meditation helps people focus. And that's what I want to do is bring it to normal people. As far as a lot of the stuff that I go into that people come up against when they talk about meditation or look into meditation, the sales pitches, that kills me. I know that, yes, I I will admit I live in a capitalist world and I do charge $10 an hour for my meditation classes uh, (gasps) per 
Yeah, yeah, per client. I uh, I actually caught a lot of shit for that, believe it or not, that some people were, were so mad that I charged so little. And I'm like, you have obviously missed the entire point. If you look very <laughs> high above your head, you'll see it and as it rolls on by. But and again, the reason I did that is because I've put out stuff for free and nobody cared. I put out stuff yeah. for $10 and people, one of the best things someone said, I asked about like, is that too much? And they said, no, it kind of puts skin in the game for me. Like if I book an appointment for 10 bucks, I mean, 10 bucks yep. is enough. I'm going to go make sure I'm in on that appointment. Yeah. So going back to the salesmanship of it, one thing that drives me nuts is you're not going to be a better tax preparer. You're not going to be a better lover. You're not going to be a better bricklayer. You're not going to like those things may happen. But if you go into meditation with a goal like that, you're going to be disappointed. I always tell people that, and I don't, I'm sure, you know, if you study this stuff, I'm sure you've probably heard it too, but we don't meditate to gain answers. We meditate to lose the question. And that I think is a good perspective on it because that's not what we're here for. We're not here for that. If you're here for that, you have already put your practice in a box. You've already limited the most it can do. Another thing that comes up a lot is, is posture and the, like, how do I sit and what do I do? And I, I don't have the right seat for this. You have an ass, don't you? You got an ass. So that's one. Step one. Yeah, exactly. Step one, have an ass. Have an ass. <laughs> Check. <laughs> ass acquired. Yes, Yes, exactly. Next. Achievement unlocked, like a video game. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> so oh, man. the next thing I would say is uh, find something to elevate your ass a little bit off of your surface that you're sitting on. So whether it's your bed or the floor or a rock or a tree branch or whatever, you generally want your knees a little bit lower than your hips. So that forward tilt of your pelvis actually will help open up your diaphragm and help you breathe. Also, it helps you to keep from sitting like a banana. A lot of people have issues mm -hmm. with their, like I'm getting to the age where I sleep wrong and I have like back pain for a week. So uh, <laughs> anything you can do can kind of help. You know, I've been told I need to do more uh, planks or whatever, but if you sit right, it helps. So, and then stretching a little bit, you know, to keep your back. I'm not a personal trainer. Stretch in whatever way feels comfortable for you, but stretch a little bit, you know, because this is your body. You need to be able to sit in this thing. And after a while, people that meditate generally at some point want to do a marathon. They want to see how far can I go with this. So if you set up with good habits in the beginning, you won't be in a place of excruciating pain because, uh, you know, you're already kind of quieting things down. And it is amazing how loud the volume gets turned up on a slight annoyance mm -hmm. when there's not as much going on inside your head. So don't worry about the full lotus. And that's with your your legs, like the, the foot is on the opposing thigh. Don't worry about that shit. There's a half I'll never lotus. be able to do that. I've been meditating for 11 years now. And I don't think I can get my foot on the opposing thigh, but I'd be damned if I could do the other one. I just don't bend that way. And mm -hmm. that's fine that you don't. For two years, I attended meditation classes at the temple, like, like I was saying, on my path. And 90% uh, of our sessions were in kitchen chairs, like those old brown, you know, like the old uh, 50s chairs that were donated to the temple and, and you know, like their doo-doo brown chairs that we all sat in those at a kitchen table and meditated. So don't he feel like you have doo -doo. to have, right? Uh, <laughs> you have young kids. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> Oldest being 11, youngest being 10 months. So we got a, a bit of a spread here. But yeah, wow. as soon as I said it that way, you had that image of that, that same brown colored chair though, right? Yeah, that's uh -huh, yeah. exactly yeah, people think you have to have these specialized equipment and specialized chairs. And I, I own a, uh, it was a gift, so I don't know like the price, but as I've priced them, they're expensive. Uh, it's a tatami mat seat and it's beautiful. Mm. And it's got oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, you those. know, they're, they're very pretty and, and it's, and it, it is a hard surface because I generally need a little bit of firmness to hold my big old butt up off the surface, but <laughs> <laughs> it makes my ass numb in ways I can't even describe. Like it's, 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 it's painful to sit on. So yeah. I actually use a $3 pillow from Target. Like it's, you know, I just roll it up. That kind of matches what I need and that helps mm -hmm. me. So 
people try to use these things as limitations and mm-hmm. reasons why they can't meditate. Oh, I don't have the right seat. I don't have the right this. I don't have the right. Like I said, I've had more profound meditation sessions on a busted couch cushion than I have on, in some cases, $300 of seats. You know, that's just not necessary. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're feeling it, it's just like uh, buying a Rolex. Like, a Rolex tells time, so does like 500 other kinds of watches. But if a Rolex speaks to you, if that's really what makes you feel good and it's not just about the thing, then go for it. Like, I'm not here to judge what you do, but you know, you don't need it is the point I try to make to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sat up on the couch and I have this little pillow structure with my blanket, I cover myself up, and my <laughs> husband calls it my meditation nest. There you go. I like to get the blanket wrapped around, so I feel like I'm as close as I'm ever going to get it to a Tibetan temple, and I'm, you know, like I'm, a, I'm in the zone and I'm like ready to go all nice and cozy. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that comes up that people tend to think is is rules. Like another one that bugs me is uh, the eyes. People always go, "Oh, do I close my eyes? Do I open my eyes?" Largely it depends on your goals. For me, the best purpose I found for eyes open is if you're worried about falling asleep. You know, so you turn towards a light source and leave your eyes half open and it's just a soft open. But some people, and this blows my mind, think when your eyes are open to meditate, you have to keep them open the entire time. Fucking blink. Do what the fuck you want. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> yeah. and that's another thing that kills me about Buddhism in general and and largely to be honest, Western Buddhists, is it's a system built on no dogmas, yet we bring all the dogma to it. Like, what are you doing? You brought the rules. Like, why? And don't get me wrong, there are some things that, I guess this whole thing of like traditions of men, this is what we do. This is what, hu- I don't want to say men to exclude women. I mean, men is uh, but humanity. But let's go ahead and say and patriarchy. A lot of t- <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a, if I'm being real, yeah. Like, right. I've probably had more of that shit imparted on me by, by guys than I ever have a, a, oh, a female yeah. of any kind. But I feel like it's what people tend to do, or we... We find that to be acceptable to do that to people. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, part of the gatekeeping, part of the lording knowledge over others that we just somehow think we're entitled to. Like I always tell people, like, your meditation shouldn't look like a statue. A statue is a fucking statue. It's not human. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't move. You don't have to have these fancy mudras and these cover your heart chakra with your gang signs or whatever you're, you know, if that stuff, (laughs) if that stuff works for you, if you're feeling that. Do it. Mm -hmm. Do it twice. Do it one for me. But don't feel like, you know, oh, I don't know how to like flash out my gang signs. So I don't know. You know, I'm not hitting my heart chakra right or whatever. Right. There's no right. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm getting at is there is no right or wrong. The fact that your ass is on that seat is more important than, Mm -hmm. you know, the correct alignment of things. Just the same way as I feel about your spiritual path. I don't give a fuck what book you're pulling your truths out of. If your truths are valuable and, and create good in the world and good in your personal self, have them. You know how the people get into the debates over like, well, if somebody says, you know, happy Toyota-thon to me and I, and I celebrate, uh, you know, happy Honda days, happy you know, Toyota. I'm going to be mad. You can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had to do that. I had to do that. That's, That's one really of my cute. favorite it's jokes cute, of the holidays. It's a cute way to like step out of the Christmas yeah. holiday. Th- That's yeah, very cute. I say that to say like uh, people get upset and I, I understand. I, I'm the only Buddhist I really know of in, in this area. I think I've maybe met two. You know, even I did go to a temple and I don't want to say they're, obviously they are Buddhist, but they were born into it. So I would say uh, people that I guess, I don't even think you really call it conversion, but, you know, because there was no like, you know, stamping on the on the hand, like you are right. one now. Have you taken refuge though? Yeah, personally I have. And that's, that's you take refuge in the, the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. But largely, I don't know if it's just an introvert nature, but I, I don't participate in a Sangha uh, outwardly. Mm-hmm. The temple, in fact, that I went to once my teacher was done there, he told me not to come back. He said, I, mm. I'm leaving at this date. I uh, said, don't come back. They've been after your money since you've been coming here. Mm. And and I'm not a cheapskate. Like I was, you know, I would ask him, like, what can I bring to help you guys? And he would always tell me, bring food, bring 
toilet paper, bring toothpaste, bring stuff that supports humans. Because they did have a monk community there of 13 monks. He had been a monk for, at the time then, probably 13 or 14 years himself. And he was a chiropractor from like Pennsylvania. And he just went on a retreat there. They had a retreat and he did. It's a great story. They were like, all right, we're here to get your stuff. And, you know, because they gave him like robes and a bowl and all the like traditional things. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not giving it back. I'm staying. And they're like, we have to give it back. You can't stay. And, you know, so he said like, there was a back and forth and he actually sat down and talked to the master and, and they said, okay, if you're serious and you're going to do this, there's going to be a, like a process to this. So he had to go back home and thoughtfully give his things away and make arrangements for his stuff and those kind of things. And he had a, like he had chickens and things like that. So he had a, a story of his own, but he said not to come back mainly because they've been after money and come to find out last year, uh, good old fuck 2020, uh, they got busted apparently, or, or they're under investigation for embezzlement of over $700,000. So yikes. Yeah. And who knows, maybe it could all be false. I don't, you know, I'm not, I haven't been there in years, so I don't really know. But, and the other thing is they weren't really my, kind of space you know what i mean yeah so i try to set up exactly i try to like one of those find your tribe kind of things and that's that's Mm -hmm. largely what i've been trying to do with like uh you know our facebook group and and i trying to do a thing on slack so that i can get people together across platforms Mm. you know trying to get people together that have a sense of humor about this stuff so my idea of sangha is is a different kind of sangha because the sangha traditionally is is a community where monks and regular people are called lay followers support Mm -hmm. each other and it's a communal thing but my idea of sangha is a bit different than, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess, the standard or, or traditional. So I have personally taken refuge. I have not been given ordination. That's one of the ones where you get like some traditions, you'll get like a different name. And those are great. Those are really great. But you don't have to be that. You don't have to do that. If anything, to me, I would say I'm more non-sectarian with my Buddhism because I do find value in, there's a hundred different schools. I do find value in most of them. And as I was taught and as it was as it was explained to me is Buddhism is like a tree. Some people find the most value in the roots. Some people find the most value in the bark. Some people find the most value in the leaves or limbs or fruits or you know whatever part of the tree you want to make the analogy about. It doesn't invalidate the other parts of the tree. It doesn't make them less of a tree. It's just this is the part that works for you or speaks to you or you know what I mean? Like this is the avenue that you have found most agreeable. And I think that's important as well. It's definitely a good distinction between what is namely how Buddhists handle I guess, interaction with other schools versus, I mean, look at Christianity. I mean, we, you know, we, people tear each other apart because mm-hmm. you're Episcopal, you're, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, right. oh, you, you're Pentecostal, you automatically kiss snakes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like all the things people <laughs> say about stuff. So yeah. Is that what they say about Pentecostals? Uh, yeah. I think, I think that's the one I've heard is Pentecostals supposedly kiss snakes and, um, yeah. Do okay. tongues. I think tongues is their thing too. Yes. But same kind of thing. You know, people are like, oh, it's one of them snake kissing churches. Like, have you talked to them? Do you know that? Like, do you know right. they kiss snakes? Because if so, I kind of want to see just because, you know, it could be kind of cool. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> just out of morbid <laughs> curiosity. But yeah, so like I said, I don't have any. That's another important thing I try to tell people is that I don't have certifications. I don't have, you know, fancy lineage. My teacher was, like I said, a chiropractor from Pennsylvania, like 15 years before I met him and his name's Edward. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's not cool. Like, oh, your, your teacher's name isn't a John something. And you know what I mean? Like, so it's very unassuming. And that's, and that's, I think uh, a lot of people try to use that as something to down what I'm doing and and what the unusual Buddha is about. But if anything, I think that's empowering because it just shows that I'm doing the same thing you are and I'm doing the admin a page, but I still visit Facebook or Instagram just the same as anybody else's. I just have a couple different buttons, those kind of things. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be this like elitism that people try to make it. 
Well, and that's one of the cool things about podcasts now, you know, like literally anyone can get the same education that I got in grad school, because if you just listen to the right podcasts, like you're getting all of the stuff. So we're we're making everything more accessible, but we're closing in on the end of the hour. And I need to make sure to ask you the questions um, before we get there. But how do you feel about the term healer in terms of what you do? I didn't really think about it that way until you uh, sent me that question. And I'm, and I'm looking at him like... (laughs) Healer. Like, though I do find humor itself to be healing and therapeutic, mm-hmm. I would say I don't directly heal. I don't do the, uh, I don't know if you remember Karate Kid and he did the hand thing and he put his hands over the spot. Like, that to me, that's when I envision a healer, that's, I hate to be stereotypical, but that's kind of what comes to mind is like, I am in the physical act of healing. I don't feel like I do that. I feel like what I do facilitates you to heal facilitates you to, as my teacher would put it, the mental problems we have are like trash we've thrown in a pit. And a lot of times people just put a rock on top and we just leave it there. Meditation is taking the rock off, throwing the rock to the side and just sitting in it and just looking at it like, okay, what can I do about this? And and that's the thing is, is I'm not here. I'm not even trained to really, but I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm here helping people heal because I feel like I'm doing my own healing. I'm uncovering things myself as I go. And I think uh, it's important for people to become aware of their problems and, and then have to go through a healing process, whatever that looks like for them. I think part of it is with the focus and with those things is, is it facilitates healing, but I don't think it directly has a cause and effect relationship of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I ask this question a million times and everybody gives a different but similar answer. So I'm not surprised <laughs> to hear that. But how, how does the term wounded healer strike you? That I feel like everybody to some extent has wounds that they carry with them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you could add wounded in front of any other mm-hmm. you know, type of uh, wounded plumber, wounded uh, <laughs> auto mechanic, wounded, you know, I like, and I'm not making light of your thing. I don't want to do that. Right. But no, I feel like totally. we all carry something. And I think that's something that, that actually drew me to Buddhism the most is that the first noble truth of Buddhism is that suffering is universal is you know and there's a lot of words people use for translation suffering unsatisfactoriness mm-hmm. whatever all of us have that all of us have those things and i think no matter what you are doing you are also processing you know and healing from the scars of the past and 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 kind of making your way through cuz even if you came from and a lot of people may sort of cringe at this but even if you came from a rich family there is still damage that is imparted and comes with that kind of life i feel like everything we do as people creates pain because that's sort of the nature of life. And how freeing that is, right? Like Exactly. Some people's criticism of Buddhism is like, oh, it's just about the suffering. Like, no, no, no. As soon as you recognize that everything is about suffering, then you're free. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's almost the paradoxical like a is, nature of it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a weight is taken off. Like we talked about limiting your, your practice. You've, you've limited existence mm-hmm. that it's only to bring you happiness, but that right. all of these things, it really comes down to impermanence and our relationship with impermanence. Like nothing is meant mm-hmm. to last here. Anything you meet is in a process of its birth and its death cycle, whether it's a mountain or a rock or your best friend or that painting or that cup that you just knocked off the table onto the floor and it shattered. Like all these things are impermanent and are meant to end. They're not meant to continue on. And I think one of the things with Buddhism that creates the wounds, but how we come to handle those things and how we process those things, I think it adds grace to life. Talking about pain and, and wounds, one of the concepts of Tibetan Buddhism that I came across, and I wish, you know, again, I'm not very good about quoting verses and scripture and those kind of things. I, I get the ideas, but it was the idea that the universe, all of existence has an amount of pain and each of us has to shoulder our own load. Some of us far too much, 
some of us not nearly enough. Ooh. But Ooh. we all have Ooh. a share. Exactly, Ooh. right? <laughs> I got chills and want to vomit at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to like turn this into like the the Buddhist hour, but you know, there's a lot of concepts to this stuff, and this is why I've I kind of fell in love with what I was reading because a lot of this really makes sense is that maybe it's not fair. Maybe it'll never be fair, but this is what it is. And and that's as far as we acquire wounds. And a lot of times, quite frankly, it's by our own creation and by our own relationship to things that are impermanent and to things that we're not going to last. But as far as wounded healer, um, one, I couldn't think of anyone who is better suited to heal than somebody who has been wounded. A lot of times with different Buddhist schools, one of the things you'll, you'll read about if you just kind of dig in is the uh, Bodhisattva vow. If you're talking about the two schools, if you're talking like orthodox and an offshoot, one of the, the characteristic trademarks of Mahayana is the Bodhisattva vow. And what that is, Bodhisattva means wisdom being. And what the Bodhisattva vow is that I vow that I will not attain enlightenment until everyone else does. So I'm going to keep coming back and play the role of trying to help people across the way until there's nobody left and then we all can go. Whereas Theravada is largely, I'm going to do it, then I'm going to help you. Some people view that as kind of selfish, but their justification is that when I'm on more solid ground, I can better help you out of the mud. So I think there's value in both. And I think that, again, it largely comes down to temperament and your intention. I think that's probably one of the most powerful things. Though you are wounded, if you set out to heal, I think you can do a lot of really good, especially having been wounded, because I feel like who's better to talk to someone who's gone through a bankruptcy than someone who's gone through a bankruptcy? Right. Well, that's why AA works. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. One alcoholic helping another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what makes their community tight. That's what makes mm -hmm. them, who's going to know what detox feels like better than somebody who went through it. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I can't identify with that because I've never, I've never experienced mm -hmm. that. I can only empathize. I can't sympathize. And right. I think being wounded gives you a greater capacity to identify with somebody and to help them in their process to heal. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to tell you before we wrap up, the sangha that I was going to a while back is called Turgar, and the monk who leads that is, his name is Minger Rinpoche, and his book, In Love with the World, I think you would really love it, because he's like, he's down to earth, even though he's always lived in a monastery, like that's, <laughs> that was his, he like, he was born in a monastery, he was some like, reincarnation of some like, super famous Buddhist dude, I don't even know. <laughs> So he decided at age like 36 or something like that to kind of go on a pilgrimage and explore the world. And it's just he's so sweet, first of all, like he's just the cutest tie could put him in my pocket and I'm five feet tall. But but anyway, <laughs> just I would totally encourage you and listeners to read it. Yeah, I have to check that out. If uh, I'll, I'll have yeah. to bug you for a link. Yeah, to yeah. Check that I'll, out. I'll send you a link. And, and for folks of the show, we'll have it in the show notes for you, too. There you go. Great. And, you know, that's that's something I really appreciated about the temple I went to, though there were possibly bad characters sitting down and talking to the master. There's it's a different feel. He'd been a monk since he was five and he was 80 by the time I, I left. Mm, wow. So 75 years, that's, and, and I don't wow. know if anyone knows the culture of becoming a monk, but largely in Eastern cultures, they do this where there are monasteries. They, people will bring their kids because that's the only route they have to education. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the only route they have to be fed. So if you can't feed them or educate them and, you know, what are you going to do with them? Mm. You take them to the monastery and sometimes they become junior monks and their whole life. And sometimes they only do it for a couple of years, kind of like high school and you graduate and you go on and you have an education now. But somebody that's been a meditator and, and a Buddhist monk for that long, if you talk to these people, these spiritual teachers, I guess would be a better generalization I'm trying to make here. There's a, a gentleness to them. And I think in my mind, it almost, it, 
it's almost like it, you walk into it like it's a field. You know what I mean? Like you're walking into a sprinkler. It's like you feel moisture in the air. You walk a little closer. And now you are saturated. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. it feels yeah. very similar. Is, is You sit with mm-hmm. them and, and there's just this basic joy and this basic, you knew from the yes. door you were already going to be understood. You know what I mean? Yes, like there's you, a pure. Be, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something that almost every faith can make people like that, can generate a person right. like that. And that's something I think we should all strive to be. Strive without striving. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could, we could, we could seriously get down into I know, the right? brass tacks of this if we wanted. Right. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. I do. That's, I think, something that's really powerful about this kind of passage because, to me, that's the kind of person that kind of feels healing to even be around. You know what I mean? Right. That kind of feels like they are breaking down your barriers. They are making you softer mm-hmm. just by being there, not in a way to take advantage, but in a way to just right. be with you. You know what I mean? It's just really powerful. And it's amazing. And that's, and I love hearing stories about people that met a master or sat with somebody who is well learned in the faith of whatever kind is largely those experiences are the same. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, you want to tell people all the links you have where they can find you, where they oh, can connect so many with places. you? So many places. Know, right? So many places. The, the, honestly, the best way to find everything is I could sit down and rattle off for 15 minutes because I think I've tried a little something on every platform. But uh, theunusualbuddha.com, and uh, right in the header there, I have links to the main places we are. But we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, if, if you're into vlogs. We also have a podcast, The Unusual Buddha Podcast. We're on uh, 10 platforms, so it should be wherever you like to get your podcast from. I do blog on the site a bit, and that's actually where I started. And as I get kind of break down my uh, stage fright, which is actually part of why I agree to this, as I break those things down, you know, I'm trying to do more things. But uh, the hub for what we do is theunusualbuddha.com. And that's kind of where you could, if, if you're interested, you could dig in and see stuff and kind of find your fit from there. Awesome. Well, you're just delightful. <laughs> I try. I try. Don't, don't tell anybody. I got a reputation to keep. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to stay tough on these streets. You know what I'm that's saying? That's right. These Virginia streets. Rural Virginia, real tough out here, if I'll tell you what. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. This is like really fun. I never know what to expect with interviews. And like I said, I'm trying to, for me, 2020 was about realizing that how long I'd been my own roadblock. And I I want 2021 to be about getting the fuck out of my own way. If there's something that that people can take with it, I hope they take something similar and and just Mm -hmm. step outside yourself. Like uh, the meditation teaching thing. I I wanted to do that for so Mm -hmm. long and I didn't. Eventually, I just sat down. I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to make it happen. Mm. And I just did. And I'm like, I could have been doing this all year, but I started in November. You know mm. what I mean? Like I let myself yeah. be like, oh, it's not the right time. People won't be interested. Nobody will care. And largely a lot of that's true. But that's not what it's about, right? Just, exactly. just like you said, yeah. if somebody comes in to meditate with an intended goal, then you're already fucked, right? So exactly. you're, yeah. you want to teach for you. And that's so beautiful. Yeah. And, and it's not to take like I do want to I do want to help people with it, too. But, uh, you know, largely it's about because it makes me feel good. You know what I mean? That's yeah. largely where I want to go. I want to help bring something that is quite often out of reach. And I want to, to bring it down and show them that it's simple. It's easy. It's almost like a birthright. Even you, you, you mm-hmm. can do this. this is your mind. You could do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Jim. If you want to learn more about Jim or the unusual Buddha, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thank you to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, hang in there, folks. <laughs>